I'm always in awe, yet never surprised, at how well the scriptures and the thoughts that I have line up with the worship music. If you didn't know, you would think Daniel and I work together constantly on picking songs that really line up together. Um, fortunately, our boss is really good at stringing this kind of stuff together. So I'm, I hope you see them throughout the message as well. I'm not always going to point them out, but there are a lot of parallels that have happened already this morning into the message later on. If you're joining us this morning, first off, thank you for joining us. We are a better and more accurate picture of the body of Christ because you're here. We're better because you're here. My name is Al Westerman. I'm the pastor, as I previously mentioned, and I, I am really grateful that you're here. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us online as well. should also let you know that we are maybe two-thirds or so through a series on the book of James. I've really been enjoying the book of James. I uh, hope you have as well. Now, I'm curious if, and this is, this is audience participation here, I'm curious if any of you have noticed themes if you've noticed any themes, any reoccurring topics that come up, challenges that come up throughout the book of James. This is what I thought would happen. I'm patient, though, and I'm very comfortable up here. So faith and works, right? And whether or not there's verses there is actually a really good question too. But faith and works and how they coincide. Yeah. Humility. Humility. Humility comes up over and over again and comes up again today. Um, came up in the, in the worship music as well. We'll go one more. God's grace. God's grace, God's grace is... Oh, Caleb's got another one. Deeds. Yeah. The outpouring. And honestly, these are, these are the things that I see in them as well. God's grace demands a response. We see this theme throughout the book of James that if I were to summarize James, and this is, this is my own opinion, it's that in humility we come to the Lord and from there, a transformation takes place. And this transformation has to do with walking out the inner change. It is coming to him in humility and being changed and then living changed and walking that out. That's how I would summarize the book of James. We see a couple things in play. We see information and revelation. Now, I'm a really big fan of information. I love learning. I love growing. I love finding out historical context. And it really, it richens your experience of understanding what the text is talking about and, and who God is. I also love revelation, receiving from the Lord, typically in scripture, sometimes in prayer, sometimes even just through our senses. Uh, I'll be sharing one of those in a couple minutes. Information and revelation are both necessary, but they're only one half of the coin. They're only one half of the whole. The intention is always that information and revelation lead to transformation. 
Sometimes my parents or friends will ask me, oh, how was the sermon? How did, how did preaching go today? And my response is typically, we'll find out in five years. Five years from now, we'll see. If people are living different five years from now because of something that I preach, that's a successful message. <laughs> that, that's how I market. It's not whether or not I'm getting an amen or people are nodding along. It's a good message if it actually leads to transformation. Amen. Amen. We're gonna, we're gonna, that amen threw me off. I, I'm so, I'm just so re- happy to receive it. Uh, anyway, we're, let's pray. Father God, we come to you because there is no other. God, we come to you this morning. And God, I ask that above anything that I say, I pray that your truth rings within people's hearts. God, I pray that people may hear your heart and they may see what you have for them. God, may we choose what you have for us this morning. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Amen. So I live in an old house. It's 173 years old, give or take. And it's a good house but it's got some character. And you guys know what that means. If you say that like a friend of yours is a character, usually you mean they're a loving individual. Overall, they're good, but there's some quirks. And there's some quirks that you gotta have to deal with. And so living in a 173-year-old house, we have some quirks that we have to deal with. I'm not gonna get into many of them, but one of them is that our bath, the outlet, the power outlet in our bathroom only works if the light's on. That's not too bad because if Chantel's blow drying or curling her hair, she usually has the lights on. If I'm shaving, usually have the lights. So that's, that's not too big of a deal. Where it kind of disrupts the flow is with my toothbrush. So I have an electric toothbrush and I actually really enjoy it. I, I didn't have one of these until just uh, a short while ago, but I have this electric toothbrush, and I didn't really understand. You use an electric toothbrush different than a manual one, right? So I had to read the manual to kind of understand how to use it a little bit better, but even after I did that, I didn't really get to enjoy the full benefits of it, and I would just have it charged for a little while, and then I would take it off. And basically, as long as it's working, I was happy. But I didn't really understand that the power fades as the battery percentage decreases. So Christmas time, maybe even last year, we stayed at my parents' house for the night, and I brought my toothbrush and started trying to use it. Toothbrush dies. And so I used my dad's toothbrush, Now, before anyone in here gets freaked out, the head comes off. I didn't use my dad's toothbrush head. It's not gross. It's not weird. But what what I was shocked by when I used it was the power that it had. It was just so snappy, and my teeth felt so much better afterwards. 
because I'd only been charging it a little bit here and there, and as long as it was working, I was fine. So I kind of went with this new revelation and new perception of what I had on what a toothbrush can actually be like. And I went home and I would charge it every couple days. And then eventually I began to long for that power more and more. So I would charge it every other day and then eventually every day. And now we're kind of at a point where I just, I got to have it fully charged all the time where I feel like I'm missing out. But there's a problem as well. The problem is that this takes a lot of intentionality because the plug in the bathroom doesn't work. It's the lights off far more often than it's on. So there's, there's a problem there. So I've charged it in the kitchen and then Chantelle and I run and we start butting heads on this because it's out in the kitchen. Anytime a friend comes over, she always hides my toothbrush and then I have to look around the house trying to find my toothbrush afterwards. We finally came to a compromise on it. We have, okay, we have, this is, I'll get back to the scripture in a sec, but like, we have two diffusers. Anyone know what a diffuser is? Okay, they're the worst. So essential oils, also the worst. So you put these essential oils into this doohickey, then it just like spews estrogen into the air. I hate them. So we have two diffusers in on our fireplace, so I took one of the stupid diffusers out and put my toothbrush there. That's our compromise, just so you guys can get a little glimpse into my world, right? But I hope you guys see the parallel here. It's, like this will work no matter what. This toothbrush will work, like you can use, if the battery's totally and completely dead, you can still brush your teeth with it. But when, In humility, the toothbrush makes a decision that it wants to connect into the source, that it wants to connect into something better. It enters into something greater. this This is so close to my testimony and my story. I went so much of my life on my own strength. I went so much of my life trying to find satisfaction in myself And then something changed. Something happened. And with my story, it happened with my my dad. And a lot of times it happens with your parents. And if it doesn't happen with your parents, it happens with someone else. But you recognize that there's more for you. You recognize that God has something more for you. And when you connect in with him, you can enter into something that's greater. And the more you connect in with him, the more you experience that sharpness, that electricity, that joy. I have it with times in my life where I'm walking really close with the Lord. I had this a couple weeks ago, walking nice and close with the Lord. I'm on my lawnmower, you know, just loving life. And then a branch hit me in the eye and I was like, that's hilarious. It's when the joy, when the joy of the Lord is in your heart, the little things just don't bother you the same way. And when you're connected in, you remain connected in, that joy is just so close and so there. It's in humility that's accepting it. Humility was a, is, but also was a really common teaching in the early church. And James talks, as Daniel mentioned, James talks a lot about humility. And so we read about this. If you haven't yet, open your Bible to James chapter 4. 
Um, probably all the pew Bibles will just naturally open to James at this point because of how long we've been in this series. But James 4, if you're not there. So James 4, verse 4. Uh, our passage technically starts at 6, but I wanted to get a little bit more context. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world's mean, world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is probably the most aggressively worded call to repentance that we find in the New Testament. He is drawing a very stark distinction between friendship with the world and walking with God. James is sounding the bell here. He is, he's sounding the bell for humility. You see it multiple times in this. In verse 6, it says, He opposes the proud, shows favor to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself in humility to God. And then in verse 10 again, humble yourself before the Lord. Douglas Moo says that God's gift of sustaining grace, and I love that he says sustaining grace because this isn't just a flash in the pan. This is his grace will last our entire life through. God's gift of sustaining grace is enjoyed by only those who admit their need and accept the gift. The toothbrush works at its best when it accepts the gift of electricity that is offered to it. We are at our best when we accept that what the Lord has for us is better than what the world has for us. I said that humility and this whole teaching that James is doing was very common among the early church. Now, we have no indication that James and Peter compared or shared notes, but it's actually striking when we consider the text, the two texts that we read so far this morning, James 4 and 1 Peter 5. In 1 Peter 5, it says, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And then in our text here, we see God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves there under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. James 4.10. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see these similarities, it's extraordinary. Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The point is that this is extremely important in the time that it was written, in the early church, and it's also extremely important now. This must have been a very common teaching for them to have used the same scriptures, the same analogies, and used the same things. And again, we don't have any proof that they shared notes. We like to think that it is because of importance and because of the Holy Spirit of God that these two texts are so similar. Submitting to the Lord is a powerful image in this. In humility, it's submitting to the Lord. It's making him Lord of your life. It is agreeing that he is over us and that we are under him. Again, looking at my testimony, looking at my story, up until my late 20s, Jesus was Savior in my life. He was Savior, and I believe that, but he wasn't really Lord. I didn't allow him to be Lord of my life. I was choosing, whether I was doing so willingly or not, but I was choosing friendship with the world. I was choosing to go at it on my own, separate from the connection with him. This was my story. He was Savior, but not Lord. Verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, without going too deep into this, uh, again, I preached on this a few months ago. And um, by the way, I learned this week or last week that we actually have a podcast and it's the sermons that we do. And you can go on your favorite podcast app, write in Auburn Bible Chapel and listen to, listen to them again. Now, a couple months ago, I did a sermon and I called it Not Unaware. In this, we talked a little bit about spiritual warfare, specifically temptation, and how the devil will tempt you with something. It'll be an element of the world. It'll be a twisted desire. He then wants you to come into agreement with it. And that's where the power lies. The power in a deception lies in the agreement that we have with it. If no one agrees with a lie, that lie holds no power. But when we agree with a lie, we empower the liar as well. But what it's saying here in James 4, 7 is that if we resist the devil, he will flee from you. So the devil has power. We need to understand that. But whatever power it is that the devil has, we can be sure of this that he that is within us is greater than he that is within the world, that if we do not come into agreement with those lies, instead we resist the devil, that the power that we have within us is so great that he will actually flee from us. It's not just enough to overcome. It is devastatingly horrifying to the devil. And that when we come into partnership and agreement with what the Lord has for us, that is when we get to experience that power. Moving into verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. 
There are lots of ways that we could talk about this. There are lots of scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, of God calling his people to return to him. And this is more of a returning than it is just a, a coming. Because if we think about this in terms of worship, which I think we would like to, is come near to God or draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But if we draw near to God in worship, does he in like form come to us? He doesn't worship us in that way, so it doesn't quite work. Again, lots of illustrations in the Old Testament of Israelites being called to come near or to draw near or to return to God, but I think, I think the best and most powerful one that we can look at is the story of the prodigal son. And I want to look at the prodigal son through a slightly different lens than, than maybe we've typically looked at it. A lot of times we look at the prodigal son as someone who has totally and completely turned their back on God. And we look at maybe even our own children in this room who have temporarily stepped away from the faith. I want to look at it a little bit different this morning. Okay, there's a tension. There's a tension that exists between the child or myself or yourself and what the Father has for them. It's not believing that what the Father has for them is actually better than what they could have for themselves. And so they begin to chase all the things of the world. They begin to chase all the things that they think will make them happy, that they think they will find their purpose in. And as typically happens in that case, they come up short and they find emptiness. The child then comes to the end of themselves and there's this beautiful scene. They come to the end of themselves and they decide that they are going to return to the father. And while they're still a long way off, the father girds up his loins and runs to meet him. <laughs> return to God, and he will return to you. And he will draw near to you. He will come close to you. James 4 eight continues... Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is profoundly complicated, but beautifully simple at the same time. Hands are talking about everything external, everything that we do. It's the work of our hands. It's the fruit of our labor. It's, it's all of that. And what James is asking us to do is to cleanse that. It's to purify that. Wisdom is in what we do. It's evidenced by what we do. And we learned a couple weeks ago that the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure. Everybody said pure, I heard it. And the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure. And so when it goes through the lens of purity, that's, that's where we see it. So we have the work of your hands and then also your inner disposition, the heart. 
So we have deed and disposition when, when James says, wash your hands and purify your heart. Deed and disposition. James also says something that I find a little bit troubling. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Now, why I find this troubling is because this is the only time in the New Testament that people who are in Christ are called sinners. It's the only reference of it. So I find that Interesting. Is he saying something different than all of the other New Testament authors who call us saints, who call us the beloved of God? I don't think so, because he goes on to say the people are double-minded, meaning they're trying to choose both ways. They have one foot in the ways of God, choosing humility with uh, humility and submission to Him. And with the other foot, they have it in the ways of the world, trying to find satisfaction in their own self. They're being double-minded. They're being double-souled. They're split down the middle. And the bad news, if you didn't already know this, is that the devil owns the fence. And so if we try to be in both at the same time, we're actually finding ourselves in, on the failing, on the losing side. We need to be decisive, and we need to choose to live things God's way. Occasionally, I go for a run, but I am not a runner. I might be a cyclist, but I'm not a runner. A runner is someone that practices running. I occasionally sin, but I am not a sinner. I am not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner, but then I was saved by grace. Now I'm a saint saved by grace that occasionally deals with and struggles with sin. The difference there is very, very important. I would not identify as a runner, nor would I identify as a sinner. That is no longer my identity. Because if that's your identity, that's what you're going to do. You're going to do as you are, and we are no longer sinners. That's worth an amen to. Amen, amen. Verse 9. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What James is saying here is let's take this very seriously. Let's take all of this faith stuff that we're talking about very seriously. Let's take friendship with the world versus friendship with God. Let's take this very And if we recognize within ourselves that we are falling short, that we aren't living into the way that God has for us, that mourning and wailing and grief are actually appropriate responses. It's better to grieve now for your spiritual state than it is to just continue in apathy. I think that's the enemy here. It's apathy. Sometimes it's just not caring enough. 
or perhaps it's indulgence. Perhaps it's hedonism, chasing the pleasure of the world. There's a, there's a verse, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's the attitude, isn't it? Let's pursue pleasures because there is no tomorrow. So I want to enjoy today as much as we can, but there is a tomorrow. There is a final judgment that's coming. And if we can take it very seriously, we can live with a purpose that we haven't otherwise known. When I say words like apathy and... being um, hedonistic. The kids might not understand that, but what I'm saying is it's just trying to find all the pleasure in yourself. It's choosing to... My, my, my take is that if kids could choose it, they would only really eat junk food and they would only really go on their video games or on Netflix or, or whatever it might be. And if there is no tomorrow, that's fine. There's nothing lost. Uh, But God has plans for you, and God has a purpose for you. Uh, Even if you're a younger adult, and, and maybe it's you find yourself on YouTube Shorts or TikTok or Instagram Reels or whatever it might be, There is a distraction that can take place and it is trying to get you to come into agreement with what the world has for you and distract you from what the Lord actually has for you. I want to take just a minute to explain what this ridiculous temptation is all about. It's going to come around circle, I promise. So just stick with me as I explain this, okay? So a couple years ago, Doritos came out with a type of chip and this chip they didn't just all have the same amount of flavor. It was kind of like a Russian roulette, if you can imagine that. So most of the chips would be normal, and then one chip would have extreme amounts of flavor. Why did they do that? Well, they did rat studies. And with rat studies, they would give the rats drugs. I think it was cocaine. And if they gave them the certain amount of cocaine, the exact same amount every single time, the drugs would become rodents would become addicted to the drug, as you would imagine. That was the test group. Now, the sample group, the experimental group, what they did was they always varied. They varied the amount of cocaine that was in each sample that they took, okay? So sometimes it would be a light amount, sometimes it would be a medium, sometimes a higher amount, all appropriate to the rodent. What they found was that those rodents got addicted way faster. That because there was this thrill, there was this excitement of, oh, what's next? What's coming next? What's it going to be like this time? So, the th- so social media people understand this, and that's why you have real shorts, TikToks, all of those things. And as people are scrolling through, they're just waiting for the next high dose. They're waiting for the next one that is really exciting and one that they hadn't really seen. And so they'll go through a bunch of boring ones to find that really exciting one. They understand really well how to get people hooked and addicted and distracted. Because if they can get you off the ball, if they can get you off of what God has for you and the purposes that he has for you, they feel like they're winning. 
because they're getting you more addicted and stuck into this silly thing on the phone. A casual attitude towards sin is is an enemy. It's apathy. Taking a casual approach to that. Even Christians can take a casual attitude towards sin in this way. But there is good news. In verse 10, our last verse says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humbling ourselves and coming under his lordship is understanding that we live in spiritual poverty. Again, the toothbrush can work without any electricity at all. But in coming under a recognition that it can enter into a richness, so to speak, or when we turn to God, we enter into the richness of God. We enter in with his power, we enter in with his strength, with his resources. And we go forward with that When we return to him, we live with purpose, we live with passion, like we've never known. I hope you hear my heart this morning. I'm not trying to convi- uh, condemn anyone or to say that the way that we're living isn't good. I'm trying to say that I've been in a spot where I mostly relied on my own strength. I was still a Christian. I was still sitting in a pew. I was still singing the songs. But I hadn't made him Lord of my life. I hope today that we can decide to, even if it's a little bit more, to change the trajectory of our life, to change the trajectory of our faith, and to connect in with him. We have all of these ways of the world trying to find fulfillment in ourselves, but we're never going to find it that way. I hope today that we can recognize ourselves to some extent. Because where I am, where I stand right now, God has more for me. He has more that he wants for me. You, where you sit right now, God has more for you. I promise you, he has more for you for in your life. So return to him. Reconnect with him. You don't have to be far gone. You don't have to be totally lost. Continually point yourself to him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let's pray. Holy God, I pray for the man, woman, or child right now that this message is stirring in their heart. God, I thank you that you have more for us, that you have really good things for us. God, would you continue to unveil and reveal who you are to us and who you've made us to be? God, I thank you that you don't give as the world gives. That this isn't about earning or deserving. 
God, may we live passionately for you. May we choose steak over cake, as we talked about months ago. Um, yeah, God, thank you. Thank you for, for grace. Scriptures say you give us more grace. Thank you, Lord, that you will lift us up. Thank you, Lord. Pray I listen to your name. Amen.